Isn't our worship band awesome? I just got to say that. That was great worship today. I just, I just got to say. And don't you think Joe the drummer looked like Animal from the Muppets every once in a while? Am I right or am I right? You're all like, I want to worship God. Animal! Ah! Sorry, Joe. Love you, man. Uh, he's got like five kids. You'd never believe it. I mean, he's an amazing guy. Thank you for being here. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. I'm just going to go ahead and, you know, apologize. You know, when you're wrong, you're wrong. Uh, my Super Bowl prediction was just a tad bit off <laughs> last weekend if you weren't here. Um, so I apologize for that. And I also want to introduce my intern. Have you ever met my intern yet, Chaz? You wonder of this young guy sitting on the front row. Chaz, my intern. <clears throat> Studying ministry. He hangs out with me. And the Super Bowl is entirely Chaz's fault, okay? I just want to say this right now, because I said, hey, Chaz, why don't you look up some scriptures about hawks and about horses, and he's a Broncos fan, so he only went so far, okay? So it's, here's a scripture, for example, that he left out of last week, a horse is a vain hope for deliverance, uh-huh. despite his great strength, it cannot save. See, he left that one out, so everybody just boo Chaz right now, okay? It's his fault. It's not my fault. I'm just saying, all right? Um, it was horrible. Uh, I want to let you know about one thing before I get jumping in here uh, that's coming up. I got a good friend named Judd Wilhite who preaches to 20,000 people a weekend in Vegas. It's a very, very cool church uh, full of people who need a lot of grace. And he's written a new book called The God of Yes. And he's doing a little tour around the country, just a few stops around the country. He's coming in here on Thursday night, March 6th. Uh, tickets are 10 bucks. He's going to be speaking on it. We'll have worship. It's going to be a cool night. I'd love to pack the place for my buddy Judd. Here's a little video about his book. Well, hey, I'm Judd Wilhite, pastor of Central Church and author of The God of Yes. You know, for me, for so long, when I became a follower of Jesus, I sort of saw God as the God of no. Like, don't do this, don't do that, stay away from this, stay away from that. And certainly there are things that God desires for us to stay away from. But what I learned is that God is for so many things in life. And particularly, He's for me saying yes to Him. And He says yes to me through Jesus Christ. And when you enter that kind of relationship with God, it changes everything else in your life. Even the things God says no to. It's because He's saying yes, ultimately, to our relationship with Him. And so I'm so excited to be able to share with you the message of the God of Yes, I hope you'll join me. Thursday, March 6th. So think about that, plan about that ahead. Um, I think he should have said no to that shirt, but that's my own opinion. Okay. <laughs> Here is, uh, here's, here's what we're talking about. We're finishing up the series on margin, and uh, this is like the, the, if there's one picture that's worth a thousand words, this is it, ladies and gentlemen, okay? <laughs> this is an undoctored photo of a Volkswagen Jetta that a brain surgeon took into Home Depot and decided to load down with 2,000 pounds of plywood. As you can see from this picture, the exhaust is still running, so the car didn't completely die. But you can see that the back tires are trashed. You can see that uh, you, what you can't see is that the, the, the back shocks have been blown up through the, the, through the bottom of the, you know, the floorboard. And there's a woman inside the car who appears to either be asleep or dreaming about what she's going to do to her idiot husband. That's probably more like it. I mentioned Home Depot. They told the guy he was crazy. They actually made him sign it. He insisted on doing this. They made him sign a waiver so that, you know, they wouldn't be responsible for his car crushing under the weight. The, the, the funny part about this is that you, it's not just what you can see, it's what you can't see that is the problem. And, and, and hold on to that thought, okay? Because in the back seat are 
10 80-pound bags of concrete that he'd already put in before he put the wood on, okay? Added weight of about 3,000 pounds. And that picture for me sums up what is going on in the 21st century in our lives as we just keep overloading and overloading and overloading our lives. We talk about this expression, you know, that was the straw that broke the camel's back process that. for We've used that expression so much, it's probably, you, you probably don't even think about what does that mean. What that means is the straw, the, the, the camel gets loaded up with so much that just one little more, one more piece of tiny little straw is all it takes. It's not that straw that breaks the camel's back, it's the load, but, but there's one little place that it clicks over and, and there's nothing else that can be done. Um, I get to see that a lot. It happens, and it ends up in a divorce. It ends up in a, in a family. I mean, we see it on the news sometimes. People just, just, just lose it because the straw breaks the camel's back. And it reminds me of a Dr. Seuss book, if I can take you really, really way back. Um, the Cat in the Hat, right? The cat, I mean, this is, this is the whole Dr. Seuss illustration. Look, look at me now. It's fun to have fun, but you have to know how. I can hold the cup and the milk and the cake and I hold up the books and the fish and the rake and the toy ship and the toy little, little toy man. And look with my tail, I can hold the red fan. I can fan with a fan as I hop on the ball, but that is not all. Oh no, that is not all. And that's what the cat said. Then he fell on his head, came down with a bump from up there on the ball. And Sally and I, we saw all the things fall. That's, I mean, Dr. Seuss way back then caught it. I mean, that's overload. And the Bible tells us that we should have the wisdom to show restraint. The problem is that we don't do that. We don't have the wisdom to show restraint. We don't have the wisdom to not put 2,000 extra pounds on top of the already 1,000 pounds in the backseat of our Jetta. We don't have the sense to do that, and we end up in trouble. And I know I'm only talking to probably half of the audience today. Um, some of you are type B personalities and some of you are type A personalities. And it's usually the type A personalities that have this problem. We, we, we have this, you know, and I, you know, I have ADHD as well. So maybe just put your hand up if you're a type A. I want to see who, who my people are, my witnesses today, okay? We're the people that load up so much and we play hard and we, and we work hard and we go strong. And look, there's a bird. And, you know, we just did, oh, look, there's an email, right? I mean, that's who we are, right? It, it's really, it's really crazy. Uh, as a matter of fact, I did something really goofy. I got this Pebble watch for Christmas, okay? This is the next phase of your insanity, just so that you know this. If you don't know what a Pebble watch is, it's a Bluetooth device that now when a text message comes in or a phone call comes in, it shows up on my watch. I can go, oh, it's just Chaz. I don't care. Click and it hangs up. It's really... <laughs> Really, 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 this is helping me because now I don't even have to bother digging the phone out of my pocket to figure out who's bugging me. But that's what's going on in the world around us. And we keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And, and why do we do that? And, and most of us say things, sincere things like, you know, I'd rather burn out than rust out, right? All right, you know, I'll sleep enough when I die. But the problem is either way, you're dead or you're out. And that's not the way God wants us to live. Very definitely not the way God wants us to live. And the other problem is that the, the, the life we live today, I mean, OSHA says that the average couple works 700 hours more a year now than they did 20 years ago, just because that's the way life goes for us. And, and they also say, uh, Occupational Safety Hazard Association says that 25 to 30% of Americans go home completely emotionally exhausted at the end of every workday. So 25 to 30% of us are coming home every night just completely wiped out, overloaded, 
our jet is about ready to blow its shocks, okay? I read about a young father who kept bringing work home to do at night. And, uh, you know, he did it like four nights in a row. And his, his little four-year-old boy he said, Daddy, how come you have to keep working at home? And his, and his dad said, well, it's because I, you know, I, I can't get all my work done during the day. And the little boy said, well, maybe they ought to put you in the slow group. <laughs> Isn't that true? I mean, wouldn't, would, don't we all kind of need to be put in the slow group? Be able, I mean, can you imagine coming home, you know, at the end of the day and not, not having more to do? I mean, it, there's a lot of us that need this. So I had to ask myself a few questions today. Um, and uh, you can share with me as we go through this. The first question is this. What drives our compulsive behavior? What is it that drives this for us? What, what makes us do the things that we do? And I, I got to say right up front, the first answer is greed. All right? The first answer is greed. G.K. Chesterton, famous theologian, said it this way. He said, there are two ways to get enough. One is to continue to accumulate more, and the other is to desire less. And I believe that a big part of our overload problem could be solved if we could just learn, and we'll talk about greed and the seven deadly sins coming up in the next series that we're going to do. My buddy Gene Apple's coming in to do that one. As a matter of fact, I'm excited about that. But you know what? If we could just like knock that off and not think that we need more, that probably would help us. Here's the rest of the verse that I showed, that I, that I told you about earlier, about the wisdom to show restraint. The first part, and again, this is Solomon, the wisest man in the world, do not wear yourselves out to get rich. He was also the richest man in the world. He easy for him to say, but he has it all and he realizes. He says, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Maybe we ought to just knock it off. Maybe all these things that we're working so hard for, you know, that new car, that new house, that whatever thing, that new pebble watch, whatever it is that you think you got to have, maybe it's not worth it. To, to those of us who are in that category, Jesus would say, what good will it be for someone to gain the world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? I mean, your soul's the priority here. At the time of his death, J. Paul Getty was worth $3 billion. He was the richest man in the world, still one of the top 10 of all Americans uh, in the world. The, you know what the most famous quote from J. Paul Getty is? Richest man in the world? It's this one. Uh, it gets used in a lot of marriage series. I hate to be a failure. I hate and regret the failure of my marriages. I would gladly give all of my millions for just one lasting marital success. It's just not worth it. Okay? The second problem that causes us to have uh, marginless living and overload in our lives is insecurity. It's that inner voice down deep inside that says, you know what, you're good, but you're not good enough. And these are people that tend to come off as kind of arrogant, but, but, but usually inside there's this really deep-seated insecurity that, that they just can't get past the fact that they're not good enough. And I think all of us live that with that in, to a certain degree. I, I, I mean, you'd be amazed at how many pastors I've talked to. I mean, I, I've, I've sat around and, 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 and debriefed this with pastors. Why do you do the things that you do? And you would think that every pastor would, and of course, my answer is going to be because I, you know, I, because God called me to and, and I want the world to know about Jesus. But, but deep down inside, insecurity can still drive you to succeed. It can still drive you to overload your Jetta, even if you're working for God. Ted Turner, the second largest landowner in the United States. He owns two million acres, owns the Braves. You know who Ted Turner is. He was speaking at Georgetown University one time uh, doing commencement and he kind of 
tipped his hand a little bit uh, with why he is so successful. And he talked about his father, who always pushed him to be successful. But he disappointed his dad by going to a, a university that his dad didn't want him to go to. And then he dropped out of that university. And then he married somebody his dad didn't want him to. And then he got divorced from that person. And somewhere in his second marriage, his dad committed suicide. And Turner took out a a, a copy of Success Magazine out of his briefcase. Just this kind of poignant moment where he was talking about entrepreneurship and, you know, go be all that you can be. And it was a commencement speech. And he stopped and he pulled out a cover of uh, Success Magazine out of his briefcase that had his picture on the front of it. He said, my dad and I used to read this magazine together. That's the kind of dad he had. He said, now I'm on the cover, but my dad's gone. And he held it up to the sky and he said, is this good enough for you, dad? I mean, there's something deep down inside that there's some compulsive behaviors that are driving us to overload our Jetta, that are making us not have enough margin in our lives. And I think that's the first place to check. How is that going for you? What's happening? The second question I had to ask myself is, is does marginless living even work for me? Okay. I mean, does, does it even work for me? Does it, does it work that I'm working so hard or I'm doing so much or I'm going so fast or I'm loaded down so hot? Do you, do you know that the bathtub was invented in 1850 and the telephone was not invented until 1875? Do you know what that means? That means you could have sat in the bathtub for 25 years without the phone ringing. <laughs> Doesn't that sound good? Is the result of this marginless living doing us any good? Well, again, let me go back to Solomon. Again, richest and wisest man in the world. Here's what he says. My heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, but then he leaves it, all that he owns, to someone who has not worked for it. This is meaningless and a great misfortune. Don't let my parents see this sermon, but it's really dumb. It's what he's saying. What does a man get for the toil and the anxious striving for which he labors under the sun? All his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. Does this make any sense that we're doing this, that we're overloaded, that we're living this way? Does it make any sense? No, and I'm going to tell you why. There's several reasons why. The first thing is the rewards of marginless living are temporary. He says, you work for it, you work for it, you work for it, and pretty soon you're going to die, you're going to leave it to somebody else. Let me ask you this. What is it that you're pushing yourself so hard to try to get, to try to accomplish, to try to build? What is it that you're pushing yourself for? And, And follow that question up with, have you ever gone to museums? Have you ever looked in these glass cases at this beautiful artifact? I don't care what it is. Have you ever done this, gone to a museum and looked at this thing and and thought about the fact that at some point this was the object of desire. This was the object that was so important that somebody worked really hard so that they could buy it. And now it's in a museum so that you can look at it. Have you been to Graceland or Elvis Live? It's a monument to this. Six weeks before Elvis died, a reporter said, Elvis, you said when you set out on this journey that you wanted to be rich and famous and happy. You're definitely rich. You're definitely famous. Are you happy? Six weeks before he OD'd on drugs. They said, are you happy? Elvis said, no, I'm I'm lonely as hell. 
And I thought about that and I thought, well, I can't quote that because that's an expletive. But I don't think it's an expletive. I think he's describing the place where he was living. He wanted to be rich and famous and happy. And what he got was rich and famous and really, really a whole lot of hell. What does a man get for all of his toil and anxious striving, Solomon asks. It's temporary. The second thing about marginless living is it's counterproductive. Solomon speaks of pain and grief and the inability to rest. I ask you, does that help you in life? Does that help you even gain the things that you're looking for if you have pain and grief and inability to rest? No, of course not. And if you, if you got a copy of the Daniel plan last week, if you didn't get one, go online and buy one. We may have a few copies left, but go get one because they talk a lot about rest in there. And it's really important because psychology and sociologists and doctors are realizing that, that, the, that, the, that the fact that we don't get enough rest is actually counterproductive to helping us do things. If we will get more rest, we will actually lose more weight. I know it doesn't make any sense to you, but that's the, that's the scientific finding. If you get more rest, you'll lose more weight. If you get more rest, you'll actually get more done. If you heard Amanda's testimony last week, she talked about how she went from sleeping just a few hours a night to sleeping eight hours a night, and now she gets more done. What is that? Well, that's God telling you that this is how you're supposed to live. The the psalmist said, it is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. That's where it comes from. I love the story of the Harvard MBA who went down to Mexico on vacation and he was sitting by the beach one night about dusk and he watched this local fisherman come in and he had a stringer full of fish, like four big, really good fish. And the Harvard guy was like, wow, that's really good. Do you catch that many fish every day? And the guy goes, yeah, pretty much. He said, well, what are you going to do with those fish? He said, well, they're going to feed my family. And the Harvard guy's, you know, his wheels started spinning. He said, well, how long did it take you to catch those fish? And the guy said, about three hours. And, And the guy said, Three hours, you realize if you just worked a little bit harder, you could have more fish. As a matter of fact, if you like work three times more, if you just worked a nine-hour day like a lot of people do, you could, you could get three times more fish, and then you would have enough to not only feed your family, but you could afford to buy a boat, and then you could find a bigger boat, and then you could pay people to work for you, and then you could build a fishing company because these fish are awesome and people want to buy them, and eventually you could have this company built up so much that I could help you take your company public, and you could be traded on the New York Stock Exchange, and you would make millions and millions of dollars. And the fisherman said, wow, then what would I do? (laughs) And the Harvard guy said, well, then you could move to the coast, hang out with your family and go fishing. (laughs) what What is it that we're working so hard for? Are we being counterproductive? Is this really gonna work? The third thing is the the result of marginless living is that it takes away from what is important, okay? And that is time with God, time with family, time with people that are important in our life. You know what's funny about, it's not funny, it's sad about this, is that even though Solomon was the wisest man in the world, he was a terrible parent. And he never taught his kids any of this stuff. And his kids are the ones that actually, this is Solomon, David's son, okay? David built the kingdom, gave it to Solomon. Solomon built the temple. Solomon did not pass any of this information on to his children, was a lousy father, and his kids broke the kingdom up into little pieces. 
So, so the problem is not knowing this, it's, it's doing this. Jesus said, therefore, everyone who, uh, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. What I see all around me are people that are not building their house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who's building his house on the sand. And the rains come and the streams come and the winds blow and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. It's not, just about, it's not just about hearing these words, it's about doing them. Solomon knew them, but he just didn't do them. And that was the difference. So what's the solution? What's the solution to our marginless living problem? Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you what the solution is. It came all the way back from Exodus 20. It's called Sabbath. And when I say that, you know, I know some of you grew up with a real legalistic view of Sabbath. I talked about this last week. Um, this, is the, not what, this is not what I believe God is all about. I don't believe it's about taking a day and making it holy. I love the chariots of fire story. I, I, I mean, if that's what works for you, that's really wonderful. Interesting, I was reading a biography of Eric Liddell last week, um, just randomly. And, 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 you know, the chariots of fire guy who would not run on Sunday and then he ended up, you know, breaking the world record in the race that he wasn't supposed to run. Great movie, great story, great inspirational missionary in China. When he went to China, he actually ended up, because of the, the tensions, the local tensions that were going on in China, he actually ended up uh, refereeing a soccer game in China on the Sabbath. And everybody was like, oh, wait, what are you doing? You're breaking the... No, 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 no. This is more important, okay? And God would want me to do this. Okay? That, that, that's the attitude that you should have about the Sabbath. I really believe that. Okay, Jesus, as a matter of fact, I, I read this earlier. Jesus broke the Sabbath, and when they gave him a hard time about it, he said, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. In other words, what the problem here is, is the Sabbath was given to us to help us. It's not about observing rules. It's, a, it's about the stuff that we need to figure out. And again, please understand, I struggle struggle with all this stuff. The reason that I'm preaching through this stuff is because I need it. I struggle with the food thing last week. I struggle with the work margin. Really, really trying to figure that out right now. I struggle with greed. I wanted that Ferrari I drove last week. I have all those things just like you, okay? But what I'm learning about Sabbath is that Sabbath is not about a day. It's about a rhythm to our life. It's about this rhythm that we find. And the Bible is filled with principles. And if you take them legalistically, it's, it's not going to help you. But if you take the principles at their core and figure out what God wanted for us, you're going to learn that this was actually your owner's manual. This is how God wants you to live. And he doesn't do it because he wants to make you miserable or limit your fun. He does it because he knows what's good for you. That's what I was talking about last week. That's what I'm talking about this week. Understand this. All the medical research that's now telling us we need to rest more. Duh. God told us that way back in Exodus 20. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, how do you feel when you break any of the commandments? You never feel good. Here's what the commandment said. Understand this. You have six days in which to do your work, but the seventh day is a day of rest dedicated to me. Again, I don't think that's about a specific time period. I think it's about a rhythm to your life. You need to rest. It's, it's as important in the Bible as honesty, as fidelity, as worship. Rest is something that is important. It's not a luxury for us, ladies and gentlemen. It is something that God commanded us to do. And it was so important to us that in the very beginning, please process this, in the very beginning, God made the world in six days and then he rested. 
Was he tired? Oh, that giraffe was really hard. I better take a break. <laughs> no, in the very beginning of the Bible, he wanted to show us about how to live on this earth. And that's before the fall. That's before the world was cursed. He wanted to show us how to live. And that involves rest. Sabbath. So what does it mean for us? Well, for one thing, it obviously means we rest our body. Yeah, I've said this enough, but you're not meant to work 24-7. Your best requires rest. You might want to write that down. Your best requires rest. Now, the whole Sabbath thing is, is a beautiful principle for that. I read a great story this week. Back in the 1850s during the gold rush, there was a family, the Hugh Harrison family, that decided to go out to California during the gold rush. And yet they were very religious and they believed that Sunday ought to be the Lord's day. And so on Sunday they would stop. And while the rest of the wagon trains were heading out, I mean, it was a gold rush. It was like whoever gets to the gold first is going to get the best spot, you know? And, and, and yet they would rest. Everybody else would keep going. Everybody else would say, oh, they're going to be gold in heaven for you on the streets of gold, but you're not going to get any in California because we're moving on. And they would keep going and everybody would laugh at them and they would rest on, on the Sunday. You know what happened? You Harrison family got there before everybody else because their animals had rested a day, because they had rested a day, and because they had invited God into the process of their journey. They'd honored God and, you know, a little bit with God is a lot better than a lot without God. We talk about this with our giving, you know, inviting God in with a tithe, honor the Lord with your first fruits, and then he will fill up your barns. That, we, we talk about this a lot. It's true with every area of your life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. Rest your body. It is, God made it. He knows how it's supposed to work. Second, recharge your emotions. Okay. Now this is different for different people and we're learning this uh, more recently. As a matter of fact, there's a great book that came out called Sacred Pathways that talked about how some people are recharged by quiet time and, and reading and study and some people like me are recharged by being outside. You know, you know what I did this morning before I came? Uh, I mean, I didn't need to, but I went out and I shoveled snow. Well, I, I guess I did need to because I live in this stupid place, but, but I didn't need to need to. I wanted to go I, I, outside just recharges me. So I get all bundled up and I went out and I shoveled snow and I listened to some, some worship music just to get my heart pumping and get myself ready because that recharges me. And, and I don't know what's going to recharge you. Maybe, you know, like I said, maybe it's gut in your bathroom. Maybe it's doing something with your hands. Maybe it's a hobby. What recharges your emotions? That should be a part of your routine. The third thing is we need to foster our relationships. This is another part of what Sabbath was about. It was always about hanging out with people. And I want to tell you something. You need to hang out with people. Now, as soon as I said, as soon as I said this, as soon as I said you shouldn't be too busy to foster relationships, you immediately, if I'm guessing correctly, immediately thought of, oh yeah, I haven't talked to fill in the blank in a really long time. And that person really, really feeds me. They really help me. I really need that. And, and yeah, you know what? I haven't talked to that. I mean, we all have our obligatory family members or whatever that, that we need to talk to. I'm talking about the people that feed you. Why is it that you're too busy to go have a cup of coffee with them? And if you don't have, yeah, well, if you have those people or you don't have those people, I want to encourage you with something, okay? Little, little, uh, little plug for seven deadly sins. Pull out your bulletin. I want you to see this, okay? On your way out, you can get a DVD. 
and I want you to, here's one thing that you could do. And, and I know some of you are like, wait a minute, you're telling me I need to lighten up my schedule and add hosting a small group. Does this make any sense? Absolutely makes sense. It's the same thing. If you tell me, you know, your finances are in a mess, the first thing I'm going to tell you is you ought to start giving to God because you should invite, invite God into the process and watch how he does all the rest of these things. You could do it on your lunch hour. You could do it on Sunday afternoon. I don't care. And I don't care who you do it with. Just go find some people. Maybe it's just your family. Maybe it's just you and your wife. Go get the DVDs. Casey and I taught all seven of these lessons. And, 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 and all you need is to open up your home and, you know, serve some healthy snacks and, and turn on the DVD player and talk and foster relationships. And we're going to talk about, and we're, I'm starting with anger next week. You know, let's talk about these things. Let's foster our relationships together. Get some people together that, that really help you. One of the things that, that's, that's a real bummer about my life this year is the president of this convention and these traveling things that I'm doing is that I don't have enough time for all of our, fr all of our local friends and the things that, that we do. It's not been a good thing. I love being together with our friends and the people that, that feed me up. But, but I'm, I'm, when we're here, when we're able to be around, we are absolutely filling up our schedule with people that, 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 that fill our lives. I mean, that's, that's what we need to do. You need to have those people around you. Paul talked about some people in 1 Corinthians. He said, these people refreshed my spirit and yours also. Do you know what I'm talking about? Those people that refresh your spirit. I have ministers that do that and I get to be with them and we schedule time every year I've got this group these three guys that I hang out with I have for eight years now we're in each other's lives like nobody's business they know things about me that nobody else absolutely knows and I know things about them and we get together twice a year where we're gonna go away in April and hang out together we schedule that back in November so that we could make sure that that happens because that's a part of how my life gets lived. And I'm on email with them almost every day. You gotta foster our relationships, all right? Last thing is, obviously I need to refocus my spirit, okay? Check that off your list for today because you came to church. Even if you're watching on the internet, good for you. At least you're taking a little bit of time to refocus my spirit. Worship is a part of Sabbath, obviously. Spend time with me. You have six days to rest, and seventh day is dedicated to a day, or six days to work, and the seventh is a day of rest dedicated to me. So you dedicate some time to him. So you worship. You spend some time in worship because you can go to worship, and all of a sudden, what we're doing right now is refocusing ourselves. You watch a drama, and you're like, oh man, that's us. We got to fix this, right? Oh, we've got, we got some things to do. I got to fix my spirit. And you're not going to get that from watching the Olympics. You're not going to get that from going to a ball game. None of those things are going to happen. So you worship. But, but not just this, okay, this is good, but it's also about some private worship. And, and again, maybe for you, that's shoveling the snow with, with your, you know, Chris Tomlin on your headphones. Um, it's some kind of quiet time, some kind of time where you're sitting alone with God or you're with God, or maybe it's on your drive. Casey talked about just turn the radio off on your drive and listen to God, right? I, I mean, it's so great to do that. You need some time every day where you spend some time refocusing your spirit on God. And if you need help with that, 
that. Uh, not only during Seven Deadly Sins, but every week we do a study guide for our small groups. And you could do this with your, with, with your spouse or with your family or just on your own. If you go on that website, you can find every week, you can go on there and find study questions that you could go through. Maybe spend 10 minutes at lunch and go, okay, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to go through these study questions. I'm going to pray. You need to refocus your spirit. That should be a part of your daily rhythm. It's about slowing things down. Now, what this boils down to, again, for me, is do I trust enough that God is going to make things happen, or do I think I need to make things happen on my own? That's really what the Sabbath was all about. As a matter of fact, you know, those of you that freak out, this is so funny, those of you that freak out about, um, oh man, I couldn't take a day off, you know, I mean, I don't know how I could do that. Imagine you're the children of Israel and you get this command in Leviticus 25 where God says, and also, I want you to take every seventh year off. I want you to take the whole year off planting crops. Okay, you know, translate that to, I want you to take the whole year off not working, no income. So what are you going to say to that, God? Well, God, um, you know, I, I couldn't possibly do that. I had too many bills. I got too many things to say. And God answers them. He says in Leviticus 25, you may ask, God's pretty smart. You may ask, um, what will we eat <laughs> during the seventh year if we do not plant or harvest crops? God says, I will send such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. And while you plant during the eighth year, you can eat from the old crop and continue to eat from it until the harvest of the ninth year comes in. In the Hebrew, the translation is, I am God, duh. <laughs> I mean, really, that's, what, that's how you ought to read that right there. Like, like uh, um, hello, if I am God and I told you to take the seventh year off, take the seventh year off. Pretty sure you're going to be okay. Because if you don't, I'm pretty sure you're not going to be okay. We talked in the, in the story last year about the, the time when the Israelites got to go back and start to rebuild the temple and then they forgot about it. And, and Haggai the prophet had to come to them and go, hey, have you noticed that you've been planting crops and not getting a very good harvest? Do you know what that is? It's because you forgot about God. It's because you forgot to seek first. What God is saying is, uh, you work six years and then take the seventh year off and dedicate it all to me. Your seven year total is going to be much better than all seven years if you work by yourself. Same thing with giving. Get that? God says, I'm going to take care of it. So margin really ultimately comes down to one simple word. Trust. Do I trust in God enough to step away from the grind? Do I trust in God enough to just put enough on my Jetta that it doesn't crack under the pressure and know that everything is going to be okay. Do I trust in God enough that I'm going to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and let him take care of things? I, I, was, I was telling the worship team this. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm about to be done with this book. And um, I was working on it yesterday. I usually don't work on it. I don't work on stuff on Saturday because I'm getting ready to come in here. And, and I, I was working on it yesterday. And my fingers could not type fast enough. It was like 
holy cow, this is unbelievable. It's like Tim on crack, except it wasn't Tim on crack. It was Tim on God. And you know what it was? I have a lot of people praying for me on Saturday. I know that. I have a whole prayer team praying for me to get ready. I'm going to start working on Saturday all the time because I had the power of God flying out of my fingertips yesterday. I didn't go work out. I didn't go do anything. I just sat there with my headphones on going, I was amazing. I couldn't believe what was going on. Do you know what that is? That is God working in me which is so much better than trying to do it on my own. It's God's book, right? I mean, I'll tell you my burnout story, okay? You're probably wondering, why is that stick up on stage? Okay, I'll tell you my burnout story. Um, 2003, we just moved, into, just moved to this location. Most of you weren't here. Just moved into this location. Uh, we've been here for a, you know, less than a year and we had more than doubled in size. We started, it was just a children's space. We started with four services the first weekend because we knew we'd have a lot of people and we never went back from four services. And we were way understaffed and way in over our heads. We had all these people we didn't know what to do with and how to disciple them and how to do all these things. And I had a young family at that point. I mean, that was, you know, 11 years ago, right? And, um... My doctoral dissertation was due. <laughs> the perfect storm, right? I thought, th I got this, I got this, I got this. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just flying around. And one, one week, it was in August, one week, I, I, it was one of those moments that you've heard people talk about that you, you don't think really could happen to you, and I didn't either. But I was backstage. I was getting ready to come out on a Saturday night service to preach. And I literally had that moment where I didn't think I could move. I didn't think I could come out. Or I almost got in my car and drove away and said, you know, figure something out. I hit the wall. And, and, and you know, you'd ask me two weeks before that, how you doing? I would say, everything's great. I just hit the wall. Thankfully, I was able to, with a lot of prayer and a lot of support, get through the weekend. And, and more thankfully, because God is amazing and he's in charge of the universe, he had previously set up a time for me to be with a counselor, two counselors, and 10 pastors in Northern California for a little whitewater rafting, counseling, sharing adventure on the American River. And, um, and I was like leaving on Monday. So I got in the plane, uh, you know, and I, and, I, and I showed up and I told these guys, man, I don't know what's happened to me, but I'm, I'm dead. I'm done. And, and, and they helped me through it and they prayed me through it and they, you know, I talked to this counselor a lot and this is, guy has been my counselor a lot and he's helped me do all these things and I stay on this because I got this problem, okay? Um, but like one of the mornings, we, we were camping out, you know, I got up early one of the mornings and I was out walking through Northern California, beautiful golden fields, just, you know, uh, I mean, unbelievably beautiful place, sun was shining and and I looked up, and I don't have, I, I can't tell you a whole lot of epiphany moments that I've had in my life, but this was one of them. I looked up, and there in front of me was a little hill and two trees. There was a tree down in the valley of the hill that was smaller and green and nourished and beautiful. And there was a tree on up the hill a little bit that was growing out of an outcropping of rocks, and it was actually a bigger tree, but it wasn't looking very good. It was half dead. <laughs> And, and I didn't hear an audible voice, but God just said to me, which tree do you think you are, Harlow? And I, I didn't take me very long to figure out. 
I was a tree that had tried to push too far, try to grow too fast. My roots weren't very strong and I was dying. And I needed to learn how to be that tree. It was growing a little slower, but was a lot greener, had a better root system because I was doing things the way God wanted me to. So I took a piece of the dead tree, put it in my suitcase, and brought it home, and it sits on a mantle in my screened-in porch over a sign that says, be still and know that I am God. So every day I can look up at this stick and know never to be that idiot ever again. And that's what needs to happen in our lives, friends. Here's the scripture that goes with that. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For God grants sleep to those that he loves. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to communion, I need to remind us on a regular basis that we come to communion because we're broken people who need forgiveness and we have no good to bring you whatsoever and that, that, that everything depends on your grace, that it is by grace we are saved, not works because then we could boast. That's what Paul told us, that, that this is this the act of communion and, and saving is completely about what you've done for us. And usually at some point along the way we get that. We get forgiveness, we get salvation, and then somehow we get to Monday morning and, and we forget that the whole, our whole life is supposed to be like that. And we try to go back to that fox and hound chase that we think is going to keep the earth on axis. We go back to trying to run the universe. But unless you build the house, we labor in vain. Unless you're in charge, it doesn't really matter. So if you're asking us today to slow down, which I know that you are, please help us to listen, myself included. Help us as we come to communion to realize that this is, this is not just a time about giving our salvation to you, that it's all about that. It's about giving our power to you. It's again about letting ourselves be yoked with you because it's easy and light and because you can help us pull it. But it's about seeking first your kingdom and letting all these things be added. And then we can sleep by omission. I love that line. We'll just forget about us. Let it be all about you. Be with us as we commune in Jesus' name. Amen.